Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Hello again, folks. Uh, keep enjoying your lunch. I'm just going to make a few announcements uh, while you're finishing up. Uh, next week, we, uh, like I mentioned, we're talking a little bit about uh, the time and security. And the, the title is Workplace Tensions, the Thing of the Past. We'll first generate Will the first generation to enjoy retirement security also be the last? And that relates to, uh, particularly to Alberta's uh, announced changes to the uh, public sector pension plans. And there will also be a little bit of talk about the, uh, the fact that the government, the Alberta government is muscling the uh, public sector workers' uh, right to bargaining, their, their bargaining. That'll be Shannon Phillips speaking next week. She's uh, with the Alberta Federation of Labor, so and she's done some studies on this. So that should be tied in nicely to what Sean had to tell us about retirement. <laughs> However, before that happens, there's an event at the university tonight. I don't know if you know, but the SACPA has been involved at the, on university campus with the student speaker challenge. Every year, last year it didn't go, but in the last five years it's been going. And this year's topic is freedom of speech. What does it mean to you? So there's eight contestant uh, starting out tonight at the Markham Hall at 7 o'clock. And uh, our format this year is a little bit different from previous. The students won't be going head to head. There'll be eight, eight, eight of them will speak tonight, and the judges will decide the top four out of those eight, which from there go on to a semifinals next uh, Thursday, and then the final will be the following. So those are pretty exciting events, I think, but uh, I realize a lot of people will probably can't make it to the university in the evening when the weather is bad and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, if you if you feel like coming, you're very welcome. It's a free event. So that's starting tonight at 7 at the Markham Hall. Uh, I also like to thank the, our partners, uh, the University of Athens, who has uh, helped us out financially every year. Uh, country Kitchen Catering for the wonderful lunch. I think uh, I think we got a better lunch than what John gets when he... When he, <laughs> he had when to he get there. Actually, I'm a little, I'm, I used to be a little bit uh, mad at him because he kicks us out of this... Uh, <laughs> this is our, our space here, and, but Sean has enough power around here to kick us in the back room whenever he has a session here. <laughs> I also like to thank Shaw TV. They, uh, they broadcast our session every Sunday at 4.30 and also several other times during the week. 
And that's good Gerald, of course, has always been a good supporter and they keep on coming out. And so that's about it. And the radio station, CKXU, is uh, doing this live. So anybody ever uh, can't make a session, they can listen to it live. Anyway, I'd like to bring Sean back up for the question phase. Please uh, state your name ahead of your question, and the uh, microphone is over there for anyone who would like to ask questions. Hello, uh, my name is Kai Tweet. Thank you very much for your presentation. So, <clears throat> this may not be all that important, but what is that picture? Why did you show it to us without explanation? Well, I, I, I kind of ran out of time, so I didn't know how long it was going to take. But uh, one of the things I was talking about, uh, wanted to get into, was when we when you looked at an investment and we're evaluating what we're going to buy for for our clients, we like to you kind of take a ten thousand foot view, and this is a, a that kind of a, a distance away from Central Park in, in New York City. So that's what this picture is. But it's very important to get down on the street and do your homework because this might be the area that you're actually uh, going to be staying in or you're going to be investing in. So it's just a, uh, the reason for the analogy is to basically show you that things can look really good from afar, but unless you get in there and start doing your due diligence and figuring it out, this is what you might end up. Uh, I hear some giggling, so some of you may own some investments in the past that turned out this way. I don't know. So that was it. Thank you, Sean, for your uh, presentation. Uh, as you picked out, most of us are retired and have struggled with some of these issues. And you're right. Uh, oh, I'm Mary Shillington. You're right. We uh, uh, Many of us have grandchildren and, and children that we're concerned about. And uh, so I'm... Uh, I'm concerned about that. Before I get into that, I realize I wanted to let people know that the black spots are, we had a big, you saw the picture in the paper yesterday of the no drilling. Uh, uh, we were over there on the west side. We're going to be uh, by, by the Civic Center today, and there's information about it out there on the table, so you can pick it up. Yay! We had 25 people there yesterday in, in, in the snowstorm, snow so that was great. Uh, we have a daughter who, who uh, hasn't worked steady, and when she's worked, she's often worked on minimum incomes. So, of course, she has no pension and, and no income to put money aside. And our granddaughters are, are uh, uh, going back to school, but in the meantime, they are uh, 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 working part-time jobs at minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know how, like we talked about priorities and budgets and all that kind of stuff. So there's two issues. How do we get them to listen? But then mm -hmm. how can they ever possibly save anything at this point when they can just barely make a goal? Mm -hmm. So those are my questions. Sure. Uh, Todd did say this part of it gets a little trickier, and so that is a, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, especially for if we're talking about young people, is that uh, there's never going to be an ideal time to start saving. Uh, I, I have a lot of clients, too, that uh, have charitable things that they support. And they've always said to me, 
you know, there, there was never, there's never really a great time to write a check to charity or to help support things that you're passionate about. But it's amazing what happens is once you start, it just kind of grows from there. So savings is very much that way. Uh, and it might not even be savings. So if you're in a situation where they're, they're going from job to job, job making minimum uh, wage, maybe it's just a matter of at that point they have to start to sacrifice. Uh, and that's a word that I don't know it, it's said enough uh, to uh, your kids or grandkids. And sacrifice is something that they're probably going to have to do. So the big thing there is to make sure that they're not acquiring debts by you know, getting things that they think they, they need but they really want. Because we're all sort of victims of a massive, uh, or a, a movement that's become you know, very good at marketing. I mean, we're all marketed to every single almost minute of the day. And unless you have sort of a compass to, to sort sift through that, it's tough. Like, you may actually think that you need a lot of this stuff. I mean, some of the uh, things that people get in over their head, young people, right, it's vehicles, it's it's things like that, that they really they probably don't need to spend as much as, as they are. So, I mean, there's no easy answer to that. I think the one thing I would encourage you to have young people with, though, is to, like, take into consideration this demographic stuff that I showed you, because ultimately there's a demand for some things that are coming right now. Uh, and look down the road 10 or 20 years. Like, what are the areas to maybe focus on and, and get into? I mean, if anybody has a passion for helping, you know, helping uh, elderly in elderly care, I mean, the shortage that's going to exist in that uh, part of the, the workplace is uh, it's astounding how short they're going to be on the bench there in the next uh, 10 or 20 years. My name is Henry Hyden, and I hope I can make my question clear. When they started the retirement savings plans, I think I was a very young teacher. We had no choice. You got you got nothing that looked good because it brought you tax rate down and all that stuff. But as I got older, I keep saying to myself, the dollar I put in 40 or 50 years ago, what would a dollar be today, even with, say, the interest rates and all that kind of stuff, wasn't in a good investment, and I've come to the conclusion it probably wasn't in terms of return of your money. So it's kind of two parts to that. Uh, the first part of it is the, you know, is putting the money in for the sheltering uh, on the RSP into the RSP did that make sense? And from purely, from, you know, I can only rely on the mathematics. That part of it should make sense. Uh, we're paying less tax now. Uh, from an income tax standpoint, that we probably did pay, you know, when you were putting the money in. I'm assuming, uh, you know, I, I remember back to some of the other uh, government eras over the years, and yeah, I mean, income tax rates are at a low right now, and I would expect they probably are, are tapped out. I don't think they're going any lower, in all honesty. I think we, we've probably seen the, the lowest tax rates that we'll see now for for uh, your lifetime and most likely mine. Now. The question that I don't know the answer to is that what did you do with it, and that's the that's part of the question, right? I mean, obviously, you know, people your, your generation has had to go through a tough uh, investment market in, in 2000 when we saw the U.S. market uh, take a fairly big decline, and then uh, the dot com bubble burst, and obviously the the recession of 2008 2009 affected a lot of people's savings. Uh, but purely mathematically, the calculations would suggest that it still would have, you know, it still should have made sense. And because you started at a, a young age, 
uh, I would think that the benefit of it. The problem we have is that when you get when you save something, so you get you got to save tax thirty years ago, forty years ago when you put it in. It's easy to forget about that tax savings. If I could back up in time and maybe pay that tax bill four years ago, you might not be quite as excited to do it at the time, right? That's why we all have invested in RSPs, right? Is the the deferral of them is the is the big advantage. So I don't know if that answered your question, but hopefully I took a stab at it. Yeah, you I have a. I found an article, an interesting oh. one, that actually was uh, in the Globe today, and it was talking about retirement, and it was kind of timely. It was asking, what are people, what are Canadians counting on for their retirement? And I thought this was kind of interesting. Forty percent are counting on an inheritance. That was kind of interesting. But <laughs> even more interesting than that, this is the real kicker. Thirty-four percent hope to win a lottery. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I have an affliction, and it's, it's, I'm very interested in statistics and probabilities. It's kind of a part of what I do, right? So I think the chances of that are 1 in 14 million. Uh, so that's not great. Those are bad odds. I don't like those odds. Uh, I'm all about uh, trying to have the odds stacked in my favor if possible. So I have some more tidbits, but we'll go to your question. Uh, my name is Frank Toth. Uh, I was a little disturbed that... Uh, we, you had shown us figures of the U.S. economy and the years of spread of what's happened. I just wondered if you're a one-sided politician, if you didn't you didn't cover Canadian figures because we know that Brother Harper tried to shut down the information, the uh, statistics field even. A short while ago, you remember that, and the fact that they're they're, they're trying to uh, balance the books for the next election in fifteen so-called. I, I was wondering when you're trying to cover up that, and of course our financial plight in Alberta. I had a fellow call me from uh, from uh, Medicine Hat, a chartered accountant. He said, "I read your letters, sir, but he said according to your figures we." We've, we've given away $300,000 in royalties in the province. He said, and I'm sure I'm right. So I thought maybe as an investment dealer, you'd cover that a little bit. And my, my question is maybe, uh, can you give us some advice? Just this morning, major news is an investor that built a whole bunch of people, $17 million reported this morning. What information can you give us to protect us from, and these are wealthy people they, they took, so how can a, a person protect themselves from a unfortunate, or what do you call it? Investors. Fraud. Fraud. So and I apologize for the inference, I didn't mean to that. Okay. Um, so the first question was why did I pick the, the, the U.S. statistics? Uh, in all honesty, they're they're uh, more bleak is the only reason that I picked it. Uh, they are a little uh, more. They're, they're in a more dire situation. Our debt is not as uh, a large of an issue. Uh, it, I mean, it is, but uh, a lot of the projections are are proposing that we will be uh, back to a, a balanced budget much sooner than the American situation. Or right there in the right now in the U.S., uh, there doesn't seem to be. Uh, 
the same uh, light at the end of the tunnel. So that's the only reason that I, and I, in all honesty, I had to put this presentation together and my four kids uh, were busy this week, so the US chart was the first one that came up, so I used it. So. Um, the next one was the, uh, the question on uh, fraud, and you're asking, how do you, do, I, do you protect you against that? And, you know, in all industries, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about, you know, accounting, legal, finance, uh, farming, whatever you want to say, there's going to be good and bad people in all those fields, right? And I, I do not disagree with that. Uh, in our field, uh, people uh, are maybe more susceptible to it uh, in some respects. But honestly, the best advice I can give you is to make sure that when you're determining who you're going to deal with, that you do some homework. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of resources that are available now that weren't in place 17 years ago when I started in this business. And, and you know, one of the things that Knut said when he introduced me was, uh, you know, talked a little bit about some of the accreditation and the, the things that we now in our industry are, are held to, and I we are held, I mean, I'm held to a high, very high fiduciary standard, and uh, um, that's changing. That's something that was not, uh, you know, the case uh, even 20 years ago. That that is getting more and more teeth to it. Um, but honestly, at the end of the day, uh, part of it is you need to make sure that you trust who you deal with. You do the homework and finding out what is their background, who they are. Um, and I mean, I, I can't really, you know, I can't really, there's no, there's no secret to it. Uh, you just have to really, uh, you know, do your, do your due diligence, uh, ask uh, the recommendations of people. That's something that we always provide if somebody wants to talk with somebody that you've dealt with in the past. And, and that, you know, after 17 years, you either have fans or you don't. And, and you know, most people don't last in, in the investment game if they're, if they're not looking after their, their clients. I mean, we hear about the ones that, you know, you hear about the ones that uh, have, uh, have fraud, but compared to the amount of assets that are managed in a responsible way, I mean, it's, it's certainly a small, small piece. Tom, thank you for coming. Are we on? Thank you for coming in your presentation. Uh, I'm with Frank. I also wondered uh, why we were shown the American statistics, because I have the impression that the Canadian ones are... Uh, much less dire. But uh, never mind, let's stay with that graph uh, for a moment. Uh, and there's something about the big picture that baffles me, and maybe you can comment on it. Um, to a layperson looking at that graph of that upward steep uh, uh, indebtedness, uh, it would seem the, the whole financial structure of the United States would seem to be a deck of cards. And a person wonders when is uh, that going to collapse? And um, uh, yet, uh, Gail, I'm, ask, I'm, I'm putting the big picture questions as a layperson who doesn't understand the dynamics of this, but I see the, the Dow average going up and uh, recently crossed 17,000, although it's fallen back. Uh, so the American stock market appears to be doing very well, although uh, I would think it's only a matter of time until that deck of cards collapses. Now, you probably understand the bigger picture better than that, but I've been in interested in your comment. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, the bigger picture is really, uh, it is tough to, you know, sometimes to make sense of. And my bet or my, uh, my leanings are more to focus on the individual company. So, like, if I, you know, if I walk into McDonald's and I see people buying hamburgers, to me that's a, that's a positive. If I walk into McDonald's and there's nobody buying hamburgers, well, that means that uh, 
there's probably areas of concern. So uh, we are very focused on, on the company level, so it's hard for me to you know, maybe comment completely on the, what I see on the big picture side of it. But I think the biggest thing that, we're gonna, that you're going to have to see is you're going to have to see some sacrifice and you have to see some balance, some, some attempt at writing the ship and balancing things, or else it's going to have a negative impact uh, on their economy. And part of why we need to be cognizant of the U.S., because as our biggest, you know, as our neighbor to the south, our largest trading partner, uh, our fortunes are, are very closely aligned with them. I and mean, we're kidding ourselves if we don't acknowledge that. I mean, sure, Canada has a lot going for it, uh, but ultimately, when you're that close to uh, to your biggest trading partner, you're going to if they catch a, a cold, uh, you're going to be uh, you're going to be sick as well. So, uh, big picture wise, I think the the big thing with with that chart is that yeah, it is a little bit depressing, and I think that at some point people are going to have to uh, put in place uh, you know you have to put in place people that are going to change the policy and do unpopular things. And until that happens, this is not going to get better until. You know, somebody kind of has to step up and, and make some unpopular choices, but it's all about public opinion right now, and that's that's a pretty that's a pretty tough thing. Hi, I'm Beth from the Delappy Stone. Thank you very much for your talk. There's so many things I could discuss with you, but I'll try and keep it to a minimum. Um, one good thing about the RRSPs over the TFSAs is that. You can't put your funds into a risky product. Um, that's actually that's actually keyed into the RSPs. Um, well, we, when you gave the U.S. Um, um, stats, I mean, I'm with my two previous speakers on that. I thought perhaps the reason was because of uh, uh, lack of lack of access to this information, um, such as the loss of the long form census. And if you really want to laugh, you could go to the stats underscore Canada um, Twitter, and you can find tweets by someone that is not Stats Canada, but they make up stats for our enjoyment. Um, now, you mentioned that no government would dare cut benefits. Well, I just want to say the Harper Unruly government, uh, with the acronym THUG, uh, has in fact, cut benefits. All we have to do is look at the, um, the employment insurance uh, benefits and changes right across Canada where they are different from one province to the next. And so um, I think we are in a situation where we fear that our benefits may be cut and our pension plan may be cut, as well as OAS. So I guess the first part, um, I don't know if it was a, um, the first part about the RSPs and the tax-free account. Um, it actually there there actually is no restriction on what you can invest those in. So if you think of remember when I showed you the RSP going into a RIF analogy, and I showed you the bucket. If you want to think of tax-free account as another bucket, you can put whatever you want into your tax-free account. So you can own stocks and companies. You can own stocks in companies whether it's in your tax-free account or in your RSP. You can also put GICs into either. You can leave them in savings with either one of them. So you actually, there is no restriction on that. You can you can put both of those vehicles into whatever investments you feel is uh, is in your best interest. So that is um, slightly different than I think what you'd mentioned. And on the other side of it, uh, I believe 
you know, what I what I said is that most politicians don't run on that platform. I, you know, in all honesty, I don't know the uh, the details uh, uh, that you alluded to, but I wasn't sure if there was something there that I should respond to on that one. So. My name's Alan Story. Thank you for your presentation. Um, just one point on your displays. I was under the impression that you had to convert from an RRSP to an RRIF in the year that you turned 72 and start taking income in 73. Your chart could be mis misunderstood. Yeah, you're right. You're, uh, I appreciate the detail corrected there. I, basically, because I was showing the income coming out of it, I, I apologize. That was just uh, showing that as 73, so thank you. I've had, I think, 12 different employers through my career, so my pension is basically based on the money I've been able to put away in RSPs, plus contributions from some employers. So I live on what I, what I have, it's in my own name. And I'm disturbed by so many of the pension plans that are not vested in the individual. Uh, I have reluctance to believe that they're solidly founded the uh, requirement for, for the political push to have greater pension funding for the citizens of Canada, very noble indeed, but I think the bigger question is the super, super pensions in government and pseudo-government institutions that are basically paid for by the taxpayers that can't afford the pensions that they deserve in the first place. So the, the uh, I guess basically what you're saying is that the, uh, the pensions uh, at the government level are kind of what is the concern, the the amount of those pensions, and yeah, I guess I mean it, when you look at the the maybe the period of service, uh, I think part of it is because pensions are are evolving so much. Uh, I actually think that probably dovetails pretty good into next week's uh, speaker's expertise a little bit more because in all honesty, uh, you know, I, I don't. Uh, try to hold myself uh, out as being an expert on, on pension or pension legislation uh, by any means. So. Gerald Wolby. Uh, I don't know if this relates to pensions on that, but I'm just wondering what bearing a 70 cent dollar would have five years down the road, which has been in the news lately. Thank you. Yeah, uh, obviously the Canadian dollar has been a little bit weak here, uh, and uh, that's actually probably going to provide a bit of a stimulus uh, for our economy, right? Uh, it's, it's better for our economy. Uh, it's tough for uh, snowbirds or us that like to go south for a vacation because uh, we, we don't get the, the good exchange rate. But in all honesty, I think that's going to provide a pretty good uh, stimulus for a lot of the, the Canadian economy because we obviously, because of what, what our uh, economy is based on, we're a huge exporter, and any time your currency uh, is weak, uh, weaker against your, especially against your largest trading partner and other trading partners, that uh, should provide a good stimulus for, for the Canadian economy. So I actually think that's probably going to be a, uh, a good positive. I don't know that I, uh, I'd expect a 70 cent dollar. I mean, part of it is it may get there depending on how we stretch out the time frame on it. Uh, you know, they were calling for uh, 90 cents. Uh, not quite as quickly as we got to it either. So that happened real quickly. You know, if, if you can figure out how to call currency or uh, make calls on currency of any with any degree.
degree of accuracy. Again, I'd like to see after the session because that's a very tough, that's a tough, uh, that's a bit of a, a mug scheme to try and figure out. Leona Jacobs. So, oh, I don't know where to begin. I have so many thoughts rolling in my head. But um, so I was looking at the graph as well, and I totally get that it was the easiest thing for me to find. I work in a library, we happen to know that you know, government information is going down the tubes as far as transparency and accessibility goes. Um, so one of the contexts, I think, I, I guess I'll, I'll focus on context. So sort of the opposite of, you talked about the intergovernmental debt, but some of the consequences or some of the, it's a consequence, I suppose, of another factor that really wasn't touched on, at least that I heard. And that's the whole issue of the diminishment of taxation, which would, in fact, be, we'd be paying a little bit as we go for the fact that we would be, you know, recovering some of that at the uh, point of retirement. Um, I guess the other thing is that, you're looking at it strictly from a de demographics perspective, um, I'm, a, I'm a boomer, so I'm part of that bulge. And it is a bulge that's going through the system, so the advice about gerontology Specialties is a good one. Um, but I think the other piece of it, and you talked about tough decisions that have to be made, tough calls. And, and I think that automatically the brain flips to, they're going to whack us again by taking benefits away in terms of, you know, cutting back on CPP or OAS or, or some other thing. But in fact, I would suggest, and I'd like your comments on this, that some of the tough decisions that have to be made is perhaps re-regulating the market so that it's not a spiral down to the bottom. Part of the reason why Mary's grandchildren are having to work at minimum wage jobs is because we've outsourced, by virtue of deregulation, a lot of the work, the good quality work that would actually be creating a good income and providing, if taxation was properly done, good taxes to help support the, the social safety net that is now in, in ruin, basically. Um, I guess, too, when you mentioned the idea that McDonald's, if I see people eat buying burgers at McDonald's, I'm, I'm good with the world. That's kind of a sad statement because, in fact, that's probably one of the worst foodstuffs to be eating. And you might want to be actually considering that if we had proper incomes, maybe McDonald's would go out of business and we'd actually be eating better food. So just random thoughts, random comments back to you. My uh, diet is a source of much debate, uh, not just here, but uh, on the whole front as well. So my wife will appreciate that. Or hopefully this is recorded and I can get her a copy. Uh, uh, but, you know, I guess one of the questions that he asked uh, uh, was about old age security uh, and, and looking at that and saying, you know, we're, we're you know, is it, is it misappropriation uh, or is it... Uh, inefficient use of these benefits versus having some of them scale back. And I think you know, the truth is probably going to lie somewhere in the middle. I, I mean, I think they've just, you know, uh, we've just seen a revision. So my my generation now is going to be postponed, right? We, we understand that? That my generation is now going to be postponed so when we're eligible to receive voltage security. And, and I'm actually quite fine with that. In fact, I'd like to see them take it back uh, even further because of the fact that it's unrealistic. I mean, the, the reason I showed you that one chart about mortality is because it doesn't seem sustainable to me. I, I, I think I'm relatively 
you know, exercising common sense when I look at those numbers. So part of it is that how much pain is each generation willing to put their hand up and take? I think that's probably where this is going to end up going. And right now, I'm kind of saying nobody's really willing to do it. And at some point, that's going to have to happen. Um, what was the other part? Sorry. Re-regulating the market. Re-regulating the market. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that... Uh, I mean, if you want to see the amount of paperwork I go through when I meet and set up a new client, uh, it's a, there's a lot of uh, regulation right now, and I think that's a good thing, and that's increased dramatically, especially uh, in the wake of uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, the other thing is there are some reforms taking place in the industry that is, uh, I think, going to uh, you know, remove a lot of people out of maybe the financial industry that are not uh, professional as professional and committed to it. So that's something that, that's going to happen. I don't know that you can, you know, I don't know how that you can regulate the market. So that's a pretty tough one to, to that, that's a pretty tough road to go down because markets by their nature uh, need to be somewhat free. Like I'm, I'm going back to like, High school economics right now, but uh, that's kind of a, uh, that's a tough one to, uh, for me to really say one way or the other. I think perhaps there was a misinterpretation of market. I guess the thing is, is that I would contend that we have um, industry writ large has um, done its. Basically, we were having a conversation about who's government for. I mean, we elect the government. The government is us, except that it's not working for us. It's working for something else. Um, ostensibly, to reduce red tape, to make it easier for industry, market, business, whatever, to do its business. Let it go free, as you say. But at the consequence, then, of the fact that the people are the ones taking the hits. Okay? So we have a diminishment of unionization. We have, we've had union busting, especially in Alberta. Okay? And that's the topic of next week's talk or a spin-off from that. So the thing is, is how do we bring back the market to understand that it's actually supposed to be working for the people ostensibly? It's not this thing out there. It's, it all comes back to us. And when we don't have good paying jobs, we have minimum wage, we have poor diets, we have no income to retire on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It has got to, I mean, when you have 1% of a population that has more GDP than some countries, this is wrong, okay, wrong. And this is part of why we're sitting here saying, how can I retire on this income? So that's a problem. Did I hear someone say they wanted to answer that? Your election system is the cause of all of it. The way you vote. The electoral experts say with a proportional election, this would never happen. This would never happen. Harvard couldn't borrow the government and fly to the rest of the world selling, selling his daddy's oil company, Imperial Oil. It's electioneering that's causing all of this. We're, we're pretty much done here, Frank, but you can, after the session, you can say what you want. Give us five minutes. We're, we're, we're well over time anyway, so thanks very much, John, for coming here.